History happened everywhere. A random place, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. The challenge? Find the fascinating, uncover the unexpected, and share the stories. You're listening to... History happened everywhere. My name is Pete Goddard and I'm here in the HHE studio with the hammer to my sickle. It's Mr. Ryan Weir. No, actually it's not. It's me, Jim Coulson. Jim Coulson? What are you doing here? And where's Ryan? Oh, I'm here. All right. What is going on here, Ryan? Well, you know how we sometimes do special episodes for special events? Yeah. Well, on the 1st of August, it's Yorkshire Day! Right. And you tell him, Jim. Yorkshire Day, the happiest time of the year. And I'm someone who loves Yorkshire. I've made more than 30 tourist videos about the place. Right. So I asked Ryan if I could do a Yorkshire special. And I said we'd absolutely love that. Right, Pete? Ryan, is is this just another way to get out of doing your communism in Antarctica during the Triassic episode? What? No. Ryan, people are waiting for your episode. We can't drag it out for another week. Oh. I'm really excited to do it, though. I mean, I've done all the research and everything. Come on, Pete. It is world-famous Yorkshire Day. I mean, I just don't think... Look at his little face. Yeah, come on, Pete. Oh, fine. What's the topic? I've written it down here for you. OK, let's go. Hello, my name is Pete Goddard, and I'm here in the HHE studio with the Yorkshire pudding to my roast chicken. It's Mr Jim Coulson. How do? And also here is the gravy to my chips. It's Mr Ryan Weir. Hey up, lad. Uh, today, it appears, we'll be talking about Yorkshire during the 16th century on the topic of adding insult to injury. So, Jim, what have you got for us today? We'll put your flat cap on, call your whippet to heel, and let's set off on a journey to a land of windswept moors, rolling dales. Today, we're going to hear about murder and plotting, love and betrayal, hairy babies, and the Beyonce and Jay-Z of Tudor times, all relating to adding insult to injury in Yorkshire between 1500 and 1600. Welcome to Yorkshire! Well, Jim, that sounds absolutely fascinating. I'm very excited, but we have an international audience, so it's probably important that you tell us, where is Yorkshire? It's a region in the United Kingdom. It covers a large area of the north of England. If you look on a map of England, there's the bulbous bit in the southeast, or the right, as I believe you like to call it, Pete. <laughs> we do. Um, <laughs> that's East Anglia. Then there's a thinner bit that stretches up towards Scotland. Halfway up there, there's a little indent in the right-hand side. That's the Humber Estuary, and Yorkshire spreads out western from there in a kind of ball shape. There's rugged coastline, there are tracts of farmland, there are two massive national parks, the Yorkshire Moors and the Yorkshire Dales, which are basically just huge valleys. There's big bustling cities, quaint villages, lots of sheep and a good number of mountains as well. And for our audience, what what is Yorkshire? What does it constitute? Well, it's kind of a county. In fact, it's the largest county in the UK, if you take it as a whole, but that's only because Scotland doesn't have counties anymore. In that case, it'd be the second largest county. It's the biggest county in England for sure, in fact, the tourist board is called Welcome to Yorkshire. They did a campaign a few years ago that called it England's biggest and most magnificent county. And for our overseas audience, county is kind of an administrative district in the UK. And Yorkshire's the biggest one. I think that's important, really, to reiterate. <laughs> Yorkshire's the biggest one. Fly the flag, Jim. <laughs> How many people are we talking about? Yorkshire stats, it covers 11,903 square kilometres. That's 4,596 square metres, which means you need 46 Yorkshires to make a France. 
Oh. That's quite big. It is. It's Britain's biggest <laughs> and most magnificent county. I've heard that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Population of five and a half million people, about half the number of people who live in the Parisian metropolitan area, if you wanted to know that. And it's got many, many things in common with the Parisian metropolitan area, I'm sure. Strikes. There you go. Right. <laughs> Uh, technically, it's four smaller counties all in one. So there's North Yorkshire, South Yorkshire, West Yorkshire, and can you guess the other one? Central Yorkshire? Outer Yorkshire. East Yorkshire. Well, the ah. East Riding of Yorkshire. I was ready for a trick question there. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess it technically is. It's the East Riding of Yorkshire, but then Hull is on its own, but that's technically in Yorkshire. People just call it East Yorkshire because it's much easier. Uh, North Yorkshire alone would be England's largest county, even if you didn't count the other Yorkshires. It's a massive expanse of space. Those two national parks are both in North Yorkshire, so there's a lot of places where there aren't actually that many people. But it's, it's a huge area and a very significant area of the country as well. So it's not a country. It doesn't have an actual capital. However, people would argue about which the capital of Yorkshire would be if it were to be an independent country, which it definitely should be. So the arguments between York, which is the historic capital, Leeds, which would probably be the financial centre, Sheffield might be seen as the cultural capital, and Bradford's the curry capital. It also doesn't have an official anthem because it's not an official country, but it does have an unofficial anthem. And if you'd like to hear that, it's called On Ilklamore Bartat. <laughs> It's cheery. It's like Steamboat Willie. It does have a vintage sound to it, doesn't it? We're Rasta Vincent's Asserly on Ilklemore Bartat. It is, it's an old traditional song and it's all in Yorkshire dialect. It sounds like it's one everyone can join in on. Well, this is the thing. It's quite popular. I think it was popular with soldiers stationed in these horrible places in wartime as well. They'd sing along to that. Well, I love this, but I'm going to be the one to ask, what does Baitat mean? Well, here we go. It is, it's written and sung in Yorkshire dialect, so on Ilklemore Baitat means on Ilklemore without a hat. And the story of the song is that the person singing is going, where have you been since I saw you last? Oh, yeah, you've been caught in Mary Jane on Ilklemore by Tat. So on Ilklemore without a hat. Then the next bit goes, you're going to catch your death of cold if you go on Ilklemore without a hat. Then you've died. You're going to be eaten by the worms. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was unexpected. That was a turn at the end. <laughs> Oh, there's another turn coming up. Oh, okay. Uh, so the next verse is you're going to get eaten by the worms if you go out on Ilklemore by tat. Then it's the ducks are going to eat the worms on Ilklemore without a hat. And then we're, or as in the people singing the song, are going to eat the duck right. on Ilklemore by tat. And then that's when we get our own back on you. Because essentially the people singing the song are eating the subject of the first verse of the tune. That was substantially more horrifying than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot more perky than, than really betrays the meaning of the song, isn't it? Yeah, and all for want of a cloth cap or something. I'd, I'll be perfectly honest, I live at the foot of Ilkley Moor. I've been on there without a hat many times. I am yet to have been eaten by worms and then eat, them eaten by ducks and then people singing a song eating me. So Still time yet, I'm sure. There is. But I wondered if you wanted to, a little another example of some Yorkshire dialect 
dialect. I found some footage from a documentary about traditional Yorkshire dialect, which you do still hear sort of some of the more rural places. You'll probably still hear quite broad Yorkshire dialect. Even in the towns, some people still have little bits of it, but it's not like it's a foreign language or anything. It's fairly obvious. Although, have a listen to this and you'll be able to hear a bit of Yorkshire dialect. All right, here we go. The postman speaks with a typical Yorkshire accent. Hello, Owen. How are you? How are you? Very well, and yourself? Nobbit Midlin. I don't like this cold weather. <laughs> oh, Nobbit Midlin. Nobbit Midlin. I like that. Midlin. <laughs> so to an international audience British people are kind of understated and if you go ask someone how they're doing they say fair to middling they basically they mean I'm okay right not great not terrible yeah nub at middling is like a step below in Yorkshire so that's where you you're kind of slightly less than just normally okay because of the cold it turned out that bloke anyway it's kind of a beloved dialect, isn't it? It's seen as being soft and warm and a little bit friendly. Yeah, and th- that's it. On a lot of these surveys that they do about the accent people like to hear or like to hear tell them a bedtime story or, you know, the, the mm. accent people trust the most. It, it comes up on that. Although, like, Yorkshire accents are so different. It's such a big county that your kind of West Yorkshire and your South Yorkshire and your East Yorkshire accents are all really quite different. In Hull, there's, like, the flattest vowels you can imagine. So there's like a kind of running joke that when the weather turns bad on a thoroughfare in Hull, people are going around going, Erna the snur on Beverly Road. And <laughs> that is essentially what it sounds like. And it's not even that much of an exaggeration either. Wow. Erna the snur on Beverly Road. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, I, under, I understand it to be an honest kind of voice. Yorkshire have, people have a reputation for being straightforward, I think, don't they? Yeah, there is a, a real like kind of say-as-you-mean type of uh, reputation. You know, they don't take anyone messing around. They, uh, they're they quite down-to-earth and, yeah, they'll tell you what they think about you is kind of the, the idea. The other big cliche is that people in Yorkshire are tight with their money as well. That's a, that's a big thing. And there's a risk with Yorkshire Day of... Of it descending into stereotypes, which are kind of fun. You know, the flat cap and the whippet and the ferret down the trousers is a kind of old Yorkshire <laughs> stereotype. Okay, you need to explain the, the ferret down the trousers. Where does that come from? Back in the days before the internet, when people had to make their own <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> And they really did just put a ferret down their trousers. Yeah, exactly. It'd be the sort of thing that would happen in a countryside pub in Yorkshire. There'd be someone there, ferret down the trousers, everyone would have a good laugh, and they'd all go home after a wholesome evening. So was this competitive thing that you had to hold the ferret for as long as possible? Or was it just a, look at me, I've got a ferret down my trousers? As far as I know, I don't really know, to be perfectly honest. I think that's been lost to the mists of time, why people ever even went anywhere near a ferret. But the idea of a ferret and a whippet is, is very much like... If you were to have national animals of Yorkshire, they would be competing. I wouldn't like to see the fight between the ferret and the whippet. Do you want some Yorkshire facts? Yes, please. Yorkshire facts! Oh yeah, he has to do that, otherwise he's not happy. <laughs> no, that's that's fine. I didn't I, I didn't feel it was my place to take that on. I thought it was cultural appropriation. <laughs> uh, Yorkshire is the birthplace of Patrick Stewart from Star Trek. John Luke Pickard, uh, as he would be called in, in Huddersfield, where Patrick Stewart's from. I grew up in the north of England in the West Riding of Yorkshire, which meant that I spoke with a Yorkshire accent. But... It wasn't just an accent, it was actually dialect, which means that you're not just mispronouncing words, you're using different words altogether. So I'll give you a little example. I was certain to be asked last evening, 
my mother and father were off. Because then you heard that my old aunt Susanna were laid up in bed with a cough. West Riding dialect. Also the home of Dame Judi Dench, Amy Johnson, the aviator, Michael Palin, the author Barbara Taylor Bradford, who ironically is from Leeds, the Arctic Monkeys, Pulp, Louis and Zane from One Direction and One Fifth of the Spice Girls and Def Leppard. There you go. That's a pretty good one crop in fairness. One Fifth of the Spice Girls. Yeah. Couldn't you just say one of the Spice Girls? <laughs> no, it's all of them, just below the knees. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> They've all got Yorkshire feet. Yorkshire's also known for its sporting prowess. If Yorkshire was its own country, as I said, as it should be, it would have finished 12th in the medal table at the 2012 Olympic Games, ahead of Canada and Australia. Wow. That, is that for real? Yeah, for real. That's a real yeah. thing. That's amazing. How it was that? Uh, the Brownlee brothers who do the triathlon. Uh, there was also Jessica Ennis and uh, Nicola Adams. It was that Olympics where the United Kingdom did really well and loads mm. of those athletes were from Yorkshire. But once again, Yorkshire takes up quite a lot of the country. So is there any Yorkshire quite a lot of good sporting stars. <laughs> Is there any move for Yorkshire independence? Is that such a thing? Yorks it? The, yes. It's, <laughs> it's at a very minor stage at the moment. Devolution was the big thing. So in the same way that Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland all got to make their own powers, Yorkshire's slowly edging towards that. They've got some metropolitan mayors who've come in and they get a little bit more money from the government to take some decisions out of London. There are people who do want Yorkshire independence. I can't imagine it would be very good. I spoke to the poet Ian McMillan about this, who's from Barnsley, uh, when I did an interview with him a few years ago. And he said, the only problem with Yorkshire independence is that everyone from Yorkshire is great at supporting Yorkshire against the rest of the world. But then you get South Yorkshire against West Yorkshire. Within South Yorkshire, you get Barnsley against Sheffield. Within Barnsley, you get one estate against another estate. Within one estate, you get one road against another road. So it would just keep going down and down until every house was declaring independence. <laughs> because I'm not against it. Lot. I'm still not against it. No, it could work, right? It could in many ways. And other Yorkshire fact, Yorkshire has the highest pub in England. It's the Tan Hill Inn in the Dales. And you'll know it from news stories. Every year when it snows, people get stuck there and can't get out. So they have to have a lock-in for three days. And I imagine there are people from around the country waiting for the weather report to go, right, we're going to Tan Hill. It's going to snow. We'll get three days of boozing in. I thought you were talking about that they smoke a load of marijuana. Because it's the highest pub in England. Yeah, because it's the highest pub in England. Yeah, it was the highest pub joke thanks Jim (laughs) there may be an opening soon Jim if you're interested just just saying I'll get I'll leave my CV on the desk see how it goes hey Pete hey Ryan hey Jim hey Jim thanks again for having me on the show oh no worries mate yeah it's our pleasure it's just I've listened to every episode I'm a huge fan oh that's great thanks Yeah, but I do have some suggestions. Uh, Okay. Just a little tweak, really. Uh, All right, well, we're listening. Okay, so picture this. Instead of a random place, a random time and a random topic, what if we keep the random time and topic, but change the place to Yorkshire? Just Yorkshire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine if it was all Yorkshire all the time. We could call it history happened. In Yorkshire? Exactly. Just Yorkshire? 
That's right, because, you know, so much has happened in Yorkshire, if you think about it. There's the Great Whippet Wars of 1822, the tea drought of 63. Right, yeah, look, Jim, Jim, the thing is, you know, the show, it's, it's all about variety. Don't, don't you think it's a bit limiting, just Yorkshire? Not at all. It'll bring the show to a vast new audience. Oh, right. Will it, though? Yeah. OK, Jim. Well, I mean, that's very interesting. We'll definitely consider it. Yeah, yeah. Consider it. Oh, thanks, guys. Now, I'd best go get ready for the recording. Yeah, you do that, mate. Sack him at the end of the show? Yeah. Alright Jim, we have learned literally everything there is to know about Yorkshire in that last section. You have oriented us sufficiently, but now I insist you tell us its history. Well, let's go to the last ice age and a bunch of huge glaciers were uh, coming very slowly down the country and they caused these big deep valleys of the dales to appear. So what is now an area of outstanding natural beauty was caused by this ice and it left a kind of big imprint into Yorkshire. Once the ice had gone, then people started moving in. Kind of early-ish, man, I think, 10,000 years ago. Always yeah. early-ish. It's sufficiently early. He'll qualify. Yeah. <laughs> He's not the earliest. <laughs> But he's definitely, you know, an early adopter of living. Certainly not late, let's face it. (laughs) No. And he was hunting boar and deer, which were roaming around the lush greenlands of Yorkshire at the time. Uh, Then the Celts came about 500 BCE, closely followed by the Romans, who set up camp in Doncaster and York, most notably, but they had outposts all over. But Doncaster and York were really good places along the main road up to the north uh, as they would go towards Scotland, where they stopped and just went, don't fancy that, let's build a wall. The Vikings captured York in 866 CE. They called it Jorvik and they laid the groundwork for the school trip that every Yorkshire child goes on at some point, which is the Jorvik Viking Centre in York. If you've not been, it's a thoroughly brilliant day out. You get to go, you sit in a little buggy and you go around these Viking street scenes and the thing that every school child remembers from going there is that they've made it smell like poo. Yeah, they, that was that's its thing, right? That's its USP, or it used to be. I don't know if it still does, but they had unique smells to the time period. So mm. as you're walking around, it would have smelt like a Viking marketplace or a Viking toilet. Yeah, and it was just absolutely disgusting. Harold II had to march up to Yorkshire in 1066 to battle the King of Norway at Stamford Bridge near York. He won, but then he had word there might be a little scuffle down near Hastings, so he marched his army right back down there, and the rest is history. Some of them say it was a little distraction to get them away from Hastings so that they'd come back and they'd be knackered, but who knows whether that was the case. Uh, As the Industrial Revolution hit, West Yorkshire became the centre of the textile industry with its water-powered mills using the force of the Yorkshire rain coming down from the hills. South Yorkshire is all about steel and coal, East Yorkshire farming and fish, and North Yorkshire was about farming on the massive hills where the sheep have like wonky legs because they spend so long at that kind of angle. Um, is that true? <laughs> some of them do. <laughs> I think. Is that true? I don't know if you're joking or not. <laughs> I think that is a thing. Do they happens. really have wonky legs? I think it does. It does happen. Okay. Yeah. All right. I could go and measure some of you. Who am I to argue? <laughs> Exactly. 
Um, much of that industry dwindled into the 20th century went on. Uh, some cities like Leeds and Sheffield have managed to regenerate and thrive. Other areas have been hit hard, still suffering from a lack of investment. So you've got places like uh, Bradford, where there's real poverty in parts of Bradford, but then Ilkley's also part of Bradford. And this is 20 years ago, out of 15,000 inhabitants, there were about 120 millionaires in Ilkley, which made it one of the richest towns in the country. But then five miles down the road, you've got, you know, people using food banks and stuff now, which is one of the very strange things. But Yorkshire is getting investment, it's kind of leaning into its industrial history. There's a lot of kind of tourism based around the old mills and the old factories, and they're doing things with the mills in these cities and starting to regenerate. And that's one of the things we celebrate every year on the 1st of August. It's Yorkshire Day, and that's why I'm here right now. Happy Yorkshire Day, Ryan. Happy Yorkshire Day to you, Pete. <laughs> Where's my gift? Yeah, what happens on Yorkshire Day? What's the what are the traditions? Wait, do we all gather around a Yorkshire pudding and eat that? To be honest, Yorkshire Day started as a protest. So <laughs> <laughs> from the 1880s to the 1970s, you had the West Riding, the North Riding and the East Riding of Yorkshire. What what is a riding? A riding is like a big county. So I don't know why they call them ridings. They just did. Then in the 70s, they went, hang on, let's make this different. Let's have a West Yorkshire, a South Yorkshire and a North Yorkshire. And let's stop the East Riding being East Yorkshire. Let's make that North Humberside. And people got very cross. They got very angry about it. Cut off and from their people. Yeah, exactly. It's you know, I mean, it's there are many stories around the world of that happening in a much more serious <laughs> way. <laughs> but it's still, you know, it riled these people. These people at like Yorkshire, people have an identity, and they were no longer part of Yorkshire, and so people protested. And the first Yorkshire Day was nineteen seventy four. I think. And they got together in Beverly, which had been the East Riding of Yorkshire and was then North Humberside. And they just talked about all the great things about Yorkshire, even though they weren't in Yorkshire anymore. Then it's kind of gone from there. It's a yearly thing. You get kind of like events and concerts and podcasts podcasts basically so there's no kind of set way to celebrate it's just a day where you have kind of events going on and concerts and things like that and people sort of reflect on how much they love Yorkshire as a county and all the nice things that happened there as well. Yeah, I think we're going to struggle though with this episode because obviously there's going to be many other podcast episodes that are going out talking about Yorkshire Day. Yeah, the flood, and, a flood know, of Yorkshire Day episodes, I can imagine. We have to have, we'll stand out though with pure quality. And with Jim, that's Jim's contribution. That's really what we brought him here to do is to lift us above the rest. The Yorkshire influencer. <laughs> the Yorkshire influencer, I like that. Change your Twitter handle now. All right, so our first suggestion is to put out a bunch of ancient axes and swords and each one gets a tiny label saying, this is an axe, this is a sword. I like it. The classics are always good. But the Jorvik Viking Museum is about novelty and innovation. So do we have any other ideas for the new exhibition? Well, how about life-sized recreations of life back in the Viking Age? Ancient peoples going about their business, washing their clothes, cooking. Real slice-of-life stuff. Nice, nice. The history of the everyday is very hot on the museum scene right now. This is good stuff. Let's keep it rolling. Anyone else? Who? Uh, I'm sorry, what? Who? 
Oh, the toilets are over there, Dave. No, 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 poo. We make the whole museum smell of ancient Viking poo. I, I see, yeah. Well, perhaps I could uh, ask you to expand on that idea a little. Oh, you know, really stink the place up. Kids will love it. Will they, though? I mean, it's, it's not a bad idea. There are no bad ideas. And this is a safe space. But it's not a good idea. So, any better ideas? Anyone? Okay, well, let's discuss what we've got. We've got swords and axes with tiny labels, life-size Viking village, or poo. Actually, you know what? Thinking about it, I think this poo idea is really innovative. Is it? Yeah, you know, I think a bit of poo smell would really bring things to life for the audience. Right. Okay, well, that's another vote for poo, I suppose. Poo? Yes, we know your vote. Well, I suppose that's unanimous then. We're going to spend millions of pounds building a museum, the jewel in the crown of the city of York, and make it smell like poo. Hooray! Well, adding insult to injury, though, what's that all about? Well, I have some insults, some Yorkshire insults. Uh, Pete, would you like to pick a number between one and five? Three. Wazzock. Oh, I like that. Ah, you wazzock. It rolls off the tongue. Yeah, that means uh, someone who's annoying. Ryan, would you like to pick a number one to five, but not including three? I want a number two. Doylem. 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 Yeah, it's a very uh, Leeds word. It just means idiot. I mean, let's face it, most of these insults just mean idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That is the way, isn't it? Um, so what's adding insult to injury? The dictionary defines it as an action or a fact that makes an unfair or unacceptable situation even worse. So you were stuck in traffic, got home and missed your reservation at Betty's Tea Rooms, the big Yorkshire chain of tea rooms in York. Then to add insult to injury, you went to the takeaway section and there weren't any more facts rascals which are like a really nice little delicacy from betty's tea room (laughs) (laughs) i've got so much to learn (laughs) or you broke your ankle ice skating at the doncaster dome and you got rushed to hospital and while you were there your car got clamped for being in the car park for too long so you've got like a broken ankle and a parking fine you get the idea right yeah it's bad and then this other thing happened so I'm, I'm also aware these episodes go before Judge Dursley and that sometimes he berates you for being too literal and sometimes he berates you for being too figurative. So what I've done <laughs> is I've got two stories. One involves literal injuries and insults. The other is just figuratively adding insult to injury because I am playing the game. Nice. He's done his research. <laughs> Why don't we do this? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's much smarter than we are. Because I'm a doylem. <laughs> oh, you doylem. You wazzock. <laughs> Also, another caveat for the first story, you know, the topic is adding insult to injury, right? That means the bit that made the situation worse has to fit into the time period. But there's nothing to say that the injury had to fit into the time period, yeah? Would you agree? It's not up to us. It's not up to us. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's the kind of thing I do, so I support it wholeheartedly. (laughs) Are you tired of personal injury lawyers promising you compensation? Well, at J&J Associates, we're different. We're not just personal injury lawyers. We're insult and injury lawyers. We handle cases where a physical injury has occurred, but also a severe insult has been dealt. Bob here suffered more than a sprained ankle when he fell into wet cement. My boss called me a cement dumpling. Injured and insulted. 
I won £50,000 and I'm not a cement dumpling anymore. We take cases that other law firms won't. Susan slipped in some spilled soda while shopping. The store manager called me a clumsy shopping walrus. Unacceptable. J&J won me £30,000. Who's a clumsy shopping walrus now, eh? Don't add insult to injury. If you've been insulted and injured, remember, you don't just need a lawyer, you need an insult and injury lawyer. Call 1-800-INSULT-INJURY today. J&J Associates, because a bruised ego hurts just as much. All right, Jim, tell us your first story about adding insult to injury in Yorkshire during the 16th century. Now, you get stuffy professors of history. They'll claim that soap operas on TV are nonsense, but they get very excited about the Wars of the Roses. And that, to be honest, makes Emmerdale look like a fly on the wall documentary. Emmerdale is a Yorkshire soap opera on the telly, by the way, just in case you wanted to know. (laughs) To give you a brief overview, you've got the Plantagenets in charge of England. There's two factions. There's the House of Lancaster, the House of York. They've passed the throne between them. And by that, I mean, they just keep killing each other in a series of battles. So Game of Thrones style. Really, very much exactly like that. You've, at one point, you've got Lancastrian Henry VI and Yorkist Edward IV passing the throne between them for a little bit in the mid-1400s. Edward keeps capturing Henry, then losing him, then capturing him again, and then he eventually settles it by killing Henry. And there's a decade of peace. So this is kind of unheard of for many, many years. But then Edward IV dies in 1483. He wasn't killed, though, like most people in this story. There is a mystery over how he died. Loads of different explanations. One of them is apoplexy brought on by excess. Mm. That's how I want to go. That's what you want on your tombstone, right? Apoplexy caused Mm. by excess, suckers. Is that drinking? too much do you think i would imagine so although maybe eating too much peacock or whatever it is they used to eat he leaves a 12 year old son in charge of the country edward v he's king for 78 days until there's word that goes around the court that actually his dad edward the fourth already had a contract to marry someone at the time of his wedding to edward v's mum so that makes edward v and his brother richard illegitimate because apparently at that time having a contract to marry someone is basically as strong a bond as marrying them. So that means that there's another Yorkist, Richard III, who's also the son of Richard of York. Anyway, he takes over, becomes king on the 26th of June, 1483. And Richard III is the sufferer of both the injury and later the insult. Okay. So this is a Yorkshire-based show. And you'd think that would be a slam dunk, right? Because one of the houses is the House of York. But Mm. actually, the House of York was based in the south of England and South Wales. Oh, okay. Hang on. They've got it wholly wrong. What what happened there? Well, this is a strange quirk of the British nobility because they tend to give people titles relating to the places that are nowhere near where they live. So the Duke of Devonshire, do you know where the Duke of Devonshire uh, resides? Devon? Yeah, you'd think that, wouldn't you? No, uh, Chatsworth in Derbyshire, which is 250 miles away from Devon. Ah, okay. So who looks after Devon? The Duke of Derbyshire? I don't know. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, okay. It's quite handy though, because if ever the people of York want to disassociate themselves from a Duke of York, for whatever reason they might want to do that (laughs) at any point in history, then that makes it entirely possible to do that. She provided a photo of the two of you together. Yes. Your arm was around her waist. Yes. You've seen the photo. I've seen the photograph. How do you explain that? I can't. 
But as it happens, though, the child who would become Richard III was brought up in Yorkshire. He was uh, brought up at Middleham Castle in Wensleydale. Wensleydale. And he was well respected in Yorkshire, spent a lot of his time in York. Edward IV gave him responsibilities to oversee the north of England, including Yorkshire. At one point, he was known as the Lord of the North, which is basically what I want to become. (laughs) But um, when Edward IV became king, he gave his brother Richard, who let's remember, lived in York, was the Lord of the North. What title do you think they gave him? Duke of Brazil. (laughs) I mean, it might as well have been. Duke of Gloucester, 200 miles south of York. No one knows why they did that. They just did it. I think they were messing with us. So if you know about anything about Richard III, you know what happens now. So the two young illegitimate princes, they were living in the Tower of London. They disappear. No one knows where they've gone. No one ever finds out. The story is Richard III had them killed so he could reign unchallenged just in case it turned out they weren't illegitimate or just in case it turned out it didn't really matter if they were illegitimate because there was a lot of stuff about some of the previous kings who'd probably been illegitimate and people went, don't really matter, does it, particularly? So... Wow. The idea is Richard III had them killed. He was this Machiavellian character. He was driven by malice. He sent people to kill his brother and a host of other opponents. He becomes paranoid as king. He alienates even his supporters. He's got massive rebellions going on. He rocks up at Bosworth Field on the 22nd of August, 1585, all cocky, ready to take on Henry Tudor, and he promptly dies. And Oh. Yeah. Not just dies, though. He dies with 11 wounds, eight of them, to the skull. Oh, that's just one to the skull is enough for me. Thank you. Yeah, you, you think after the first one, the, the other seven were probably unnecessary, but they went with them anyway. Finish the job, make sure. Yes, you sound so professional. Just saying, I'm just saying, if you <laughs> look, if you pay me to bash someone's skull in, I'm not just going to go with one bash. That's all I'm saying. Someone's got to stab the skulls, otherwise what are we going to do? <laughs> so anyway, that's your injury, okay? Now we can move actually into our time period and find out about the insults. So Yorkshire's very own Richard III is one of the most recognisable characters from history. If you picture him, can you picture him in your head? There's a kind of slight frame, crooked back, limp, withered arm, ruthless ambition, psychopathic tendencies. But, you know, so there were this big slew of texts about Richard's reign that came out in the late 15th and then throughout the 16th century, including one by someone with one of my favourite names in history, Polydor Virgil. Polydor? Yeah, there's not many Polydors. Not in Barnsley in South Yorkshire. You don't go to school with a Polydor. (laughs) I say bring it back. Polydor Goddard. Yes, I'm using that. Actually, that works quite well. (laughs) It's got a ring to it. Yeah. Well, he, he wrote this Historia Anglia, and he said that Richard was deformed of body, one shoulder higher than the right. And he said at the moment Richard heard about his brother's death whilst he was in York, when Richard had intelligence hereof, he began to be kindled with an ardent desire of sovereignty. But for that, there was no cause at all whereby he might bring the same to pass that he could carry any colour of honesty. So trying to paint a picture of his character there. Then you've got Thomas More, who would become the Lord High Chancellor, said Richard was little of stature, ill-featured of of limes, croak-backed, his left shoulder much higher than his right, hard-favoured of visage. He was malicious, wrathful, envious, and from afore his birth, ever forward. I like the sound of him. He sounds cool. I'd hang out with him. Character, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah. He's one of those blokes down the pub. He's a character. Exactly, yeah, but he's our (laughs) malicious, envious, hunchbacked, angry, foul of visage (laughs) friend. So what are you going to (laughs) do? Thomas More also talks about Richard being born feet first and not 
untossed, which means he had a mouthful of teeth, apparently, when he was born. Oh, that's first. creepy. I don't know why I find that so creepy, but it's like a tiny middle-aged man coming out. <laughs> That's unsettling. <laughs> uh, we've got a bloke called John Rouse as well, who also makes claims about uh, Richard's birth in a book he wrote. He says, Richard was born at Fotheringhay in Northamptonshire, retained within his mother's womb for two years and in- emerging with teeth and hair to his shoulders. So that's adding a little that's bit extra. N- wearing a three-piece suit with a briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true, surely. Bear in mind, these people were writing it quite a long time after he'd been born, having not been around at the time. And they were not friends of his, presumably, at this point. Well, this is the thing. So he also talks about him being stunted and distorted with one shoulder higher than the other. In another passage, he says, King Richard, who was excessively cruel in his days, reigned for three years and a little more in a way that Antichrist is set to reign. And like the Antichrist to come, he was confounded at his moment of greatest pride. Also, John Rouse says that Richard killed Henry VI and his own wife as well. And he just really sticks the knife in, which is kind of weird. Because a few years earlier, the very same John Rouse called Richard a mighty prince and a good king who was on top of law and order. And when Richard was alive, it also said that he may have one shoulder higher than the other, but it was so slight he couldn't remember which one. And for some reason, in the intervening years, John Rouse's kind contemporary words for the House of York changed after the Tudors came into power. And I can't it's really baffling mystery, out. isn't it? I don't know what happened there. That is really weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I literally strange. cannot think of a reason why. <laughs> yeah. Not one maybe, reason. Maybe he'd just forgotten what he'd said earlier and then he was thinking of someone else that had been born after a two-year pregnancy with teeth and hair down to his shoulders. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the crazy part of me thinks that maybe it's about money and power, but I mean, <laughs> that's just lunacy. Crazy. Oh, Ryan, you naive fool. <laughs> yeah, know. but then if you said that, next thing you'd be saying is that Polydor Virgil was supported writing his book by Henry VII, Henry Tudor. Oh, no, he was. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. Oh. And Thomas More as well. You might suggest that just after he finished writing his history of Richard III, which further legitimised the rule of the Tudors in 1518, he was then moved on to serve on Henry VIII's Privy Council, his first step in an illustrious career. Wow. Although we did actually find out what happens when you annoy Henry VIII a little bit later on. But the more you read, you can kind of see there is this concerted Tudor effort to go, hmm, Richard, he was terrible. Oh, yeah. Henry Tudor was a bit of a hero for getting rid of him. Fake news. Mm. This is it. And people say he was the first victim of fake news. And you can see it happening because we also have the proof that he did have a slightly curved spine because they dug up his remains from under a car park in Leicester in 2012. He had scoliosis, but nothing remarkable, particularly from their examination. And it sort of throws doubt on the suggestions made by these Tudor historians. Did he kill the princes in the town? Tower, for instance. I mean, he might have. He did have a reason to. But then again, their mum, Richard's sister-in-law, sent her daughters to live with him after he'd supposedly killed her sons. And I mean, I'm not saying I'm the best parent in the world, but I certainly wouldn't send my other children over to their uncles after he'd killed the first lot that he'd been put in charge of. That would That's beyond careless. <laughs> 
There are plenty of other suspects, though. Uh, Henry Tudor's mum, Margaret Beaufort, she is a suspect in that. There are quite a lot of other people that have been identified, but Richard is the one that gets the blame. And the problem is, these Tudor accounts might have just been discounted earlier, but who comes along towards the end of the 1500s? William Flippin' Shakespeare. Oh, that wazzock. He swallows the Tudor line. He's got all that propaganda, sticks it into his play, Richard III, and cements his unwarranted reputation for centuries to come, adding insults to injury. Oh, very good. Elegantly done, sir. Thank you. <laughs> I thought you nailed that. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting nervous now. He's going to end up taking my job. No, 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 no. Do you want another Yorkshire insult? You can choose one, four or five. Pete, which one do you want to go for? Oh, number five, all the way. Oh, your balm pot. Oh, your balm pot. That's quite an affectionate one. Yeah. A balm pot is someone who's always a little bit crazy. Oh, you do some funny, crazy things, don't you? Oh, your <laughs> balm pot. I like that. I'm using that. That's going in the book. And Ryan, one or four? Well, I would like one for Pete and four for myself. Ooh. Okay. So, uh, Pete, you're a Mardi bum. A Mardi exactly. bum. I, I agree. It's true. What does that mean? <laughs> someone who's a little bit grumpy, uh, a little oh, bit yeah. uh, in a mood. Is you? Yeah, that's a good choice. I'm fair enough. I'll take that. You know, a bit <laughs> stupid, a bit annoying, you know, always going on, really bad hair. What's Ryan's one? Just out of interest. Stupid face. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've opened a can of worms. Bit smelly. <laughs> Is there one for terrible podcast host who's about to be replaced by the special guest who's doing an excellent job? Uh, well, you've got a monk on is the next one, which sort of means you're a Mardi bum. If you've got a monk on, you are a Mardi bum. You've got oh, a, you've got a, a right annoyed. monk on, Ryan. Shut up, you Mardi bum. <laughs> <laughs> Insulting people is fun. <laughs> yeah, just wait. I'm going to start adding injuries to insults. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, that could be bad. <laughs> Let's not turn to fisticuffs. Let's move to another story, shall we? After this. Bloody hell, it's William Bloody Shakespeare. What are you doing here? Well, I believe I shuffled off that mortal coil, my lord. I beseech thee, could this be heaven? Well, of course it's bloody heaven. All these clouds and non-stop angelic bloody choirs. Where did you think you were? Yorkshire? Oh, how joy erupts in mine bosom to hear this news. Anyway, before you pick up your wings and your halo, someone wants a word with you. Is that right? Oh, yes. And here he comes. All right. Bye. William Shakespeare, as I live and breathe. But um, you know what I mean. Alas, William Shakespeare does not scribe autographs for thine fans. Oh, does he not? Well, William Wazak, one does not have desire for thine signature. Uh, but it grieves me to declare, sirrah, I do not know thy name. Oh, thou dost not recollect thine self, eh? Well, perhaps this snappy line will jog thy memory. Now is the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by our son of York. <gasps> dost mine eyes deceive me? Could it be? Richard? That's King Richard, Sarah, and I have a bone to pick with you. Look at this. Just look at it. Why for art thou proffering me thine rear aspect? It's my back. Prithee explain. My perfectly normal, albeit ever so slightly curved, back. Oh, right. And what isn't it, eh? Hunched. Do you see a hunch there? 
No, because there isn't a hunch. Although it's true I do have a hunch. It's a hunch that your play is a load of bollocks. And this face, is it ugly? Oh, the comeliness of thine visage is not a matter for this humble playwright's comment. Well, you commented most verily in your bloody play. Ah, yeah, about that. Oh, yes. Apparently I'm rudely stamped and want love's majesty. Oh, come on, that's dramatic license. Deformed, unfinished, sent before my time into this breathing world, scarce half made up. Dogs bark at me as I stop them. Come on, dogs. Lovely dogs. That's just mean. It's slander is what it is. I ought to sue you. Except I can't. You can't? Well, why not? Well, this is heaven, isn't it? No lawyers allowed. Ah, so it is true. All's well that ends well. God, I hate you. Who hates me? Not, not you, Lord. Uh, just an expression. Okay, happens a lot. All right, bye! Let's have another story. Let's have another story. What do you got? Let's talk about Bess of Hardwick. She was renowned for being a formidable woman in the 1500s. So she was born in 1527 into a family of respectable but impoverished Derbyshire landowners. Now, impoverished is a sliding scale, it turns out, because the source that I was reading, the next line said that they owned land in and around Hardwick and a modest manor house. Now, a modest manor house. I too long to be that impoverished. I think for the standards of the time, in Tudor times, there were probably one or two people more impoverished than her. But that's the source that I read. So over the years, she built both her reputation and a couple of huge houses as well. She was well known for being like um, a, a Tudor property developer. And she became one of the richest women in England and she was a friend of Elizabeth I as well and she used to hang out at court all the time and that's where she met George Talbot who was one of the richest men in England and he was another favourite of Elizabeth just behind Lord Melchit, Lord Flashart and Blackadder. Would you care to stroll with me a while? Just if you've got time, if you're not too busy. No, sorry ma'am, affairs of office... would you care to stroll with me a while? Just if you've got time, if you're not too busy. Yes, (laughs) it would make the decade worthwhile. Uh, Bess had been widowed three times by now and uh, George, who she met at court, he just became a widower to the brilliantly named Gertrude Manners, who has no other part in this story, but I think her name needs to live on. It's almost like it's up there with Polydor Virgil and Gertrude Manners. <laughs> Gertrude Manners. See, if um, if Bess had been really thoughtful, she'd have built another house and called it Gertrude Manners, shouldn't she? But uh... <laughs> Sorry to say, she never did. Yeah. So these are two sickeningly rich people falling madly in love with each other. They're like the Tudor, Beyonce and Jay-Z. And how do you think that they cement their alliance? What do you think shows in this time that you're serious about each other? Sex. Build a massive castle. Both of those great answers. Not correct. (laughs) What happens was that George and Bess marry two of his children off to two of hers. And there's nothing weird about that whatsoever, all right? 
Right. Mm. So by all accounts, they're deliriously happy with each other. They have all of these magnificent homes between them, most notably Sheffield Castle in what is now South Yorkshire. And Sheffield is George's principal seat, which is why he's known as the Earl of Shrewsbury, 115 miles (laughs) south of Sheffield. Oh, those tricksters. (laughs) So they've got the blessing of the Queen, who's brought two of her mates together. She's happy about that. And they all live happily ever after. Do they, though? (laughs) No. um, Well, being in the favour of the Queen is not always a bonus, because sometimes the Queen has to ask you for a favour. And she trusts them completely. And when her troublesome cousin, Mary Queen of Scots, arrives in England in 1568, Elizabeth has her arrested. Now, there's a thought that Mary had killed her husband and Elizabeth was not okay with that. So she says, well, Mary, if you can prove you didn't kill your husband, you can come down here to London and I'll help you out, maybe even help you get back on the throne of Scotland. Mary couldn't prove it, or at least Elizabeth didn't want to hear So she goes to George and Bess and she says, big favour to ask, would you like to hold my cousin as a prisoner in your home? Which is a big ask, you know, your honeymooners. Yeah, Mm. that's why they put that uh, dungeon in. That was during the remodelling. Months after they're married, they've got now got this controversial house guest playing third wheel. And mm. after keeping her at Tutbury Castle in Staffordshire for a bit, George brings her to Sheffield and she stays there as a prisoner for 15 years. Whoa. They're getting some sort of stipend. It's not cheap to keep someone in your house. I realise that I'm probably not concentrating on the most important part of this, but I'm like, they're eating us out of house and home, these prisoners. Well, you are absolutely correct. There, there is a stipend. However, the stipend is very meagre and also not paid very often as well. Oh. It's more of one of those, you're going to have to chase it up, George, if you want us to give you any money. Oh, wow. And he's not the strictest of all of the jailers, which means that he's allowing Mary to have, oh, you know, just the 30 staff including a secretary, physician, maids, grooms and cooks. I mean, it's impossible to live on 30. Yeah. Well, do you want to know what she had for her meals while she was in Sheffield Castle, while she was being held prisoner? Burgers. Swan sandwiches for lunch. She had 16 course meals four times a day. (laughs) Where did she find the time? Sounds like my diet. (laughs) Uh, They were served buffet style with uh, a choice of fish, meat, rabbit and things like venison, which is in more than one sense of the word, dear. Yeah. So Elizabeth, as I say, did give them an allowance, but they didn't see much of it, and it wasn't paying for those 30 staff. Also, he was meant to be keeping her as a uh, as a prisoner, but he did let her go to places like Buxton Spa for a day out and things like that. So... <laughs> If you read the right-wing press today, that is very much what modern prisons are like, the way they portray it. (laughs) It is actually, in actuality, it was quite bad. It was smelly, cold and damp. Uh, Mary did suffer with rheumatism and arthritis, but it didn't seem to dent her uh, appetite, did it? (laughs) No. I'm surprised they could get her out the doorway. (laughs) 
<laughs> she was her own maid prisoner just by eating too much to take a wall down to get her out. So over the next 15 years, Bess and George's fortunes dwindled. They were tired. They were broke. They started arguing. George accused Bess of spending too much time and money doing up some of her other properties. He even tried to suggest she was trying to engineer her daughter into a marriage that could have seen her heirs have a claim to the throne. So I think George is a bit like, oh, you're trying to get in there and take over from the Queen. Elizabeth tried to patch up the differences, but things got so bad, Bess had to flee from Chatsworth House where she'd gone. They were living separately then, um, not surprisingly, because there's no way she could get into the kitchen because it was always being used by people <laughs> making food for Mary and her entourage. But George had mm. sent his men to attack her at Chatsworth, so she headed off to one of her other houses, uh, which sort of beats that kind of passive-aggressive Facebook post about your ex, doesn't it? I'm going to send men. It's definitive, isn't it? You, you know the, the relationship's in trouble when your partner sends men to attack you. That's pretty yeah. much a definitely a game over sign, isn't it? Is it like what in one of those like cosmopolitan quizzes going, yeah. <laughs> does your man A, send you flowers, B, take you on dates, C, send men to kill you? If you answered mostly Cs, you might be Bess of Hardwick. <laughs> I mean, it is a red flag, isn't it? It's definitely yes, a red flag. <laughs> uh, needless to say, the pair split up because you would after someone had sent people to kill you. It's, you know, only natural. George had to petition Elizabeth to get rid of Mary. And it took him a while as well. <laughs> She really genuinely did not want to let her out or go anywhere else. Um, after leaving Sheffield, Mary became embroiled in a plot to kill Elizabeth. So kind of shows she was right to keep her in jail for 15 years. And Mary was sentenced to death, executed at Fotheringay Castle, which is the birthplace of Richard III. That ties it up nicely. In 1587, one of the witnesses of Mary's execution was George Talbot, the Earl of Shrewsbury, and possibly in what would be a real kick in the teeth to Bess, or you could say, adding insult to injury, George was also the rumoured lover of Mary, Queen of Scots. Oh. He'd managed to sneak in past the entourage of 30, potentially, to um, do some kissing. Well, those 30 have all filled up on peacock pasties, haven't they? So probably <laughs> napping. <laughs> I'm just wondering what she had for her last meal. <laughs> because if it's 14 courses, you're really dragging it out then. Aren't yeah, you? yeah, you could give yourself an extra couple of days of the right, with the right menu, couldn't you? <laughs> Execution has fallen asleep. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bess and George, they were the Tudor, Beyonce and Jay-Z. They went from crazy in love to Bess being a single lady. All the single ladies. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> amazing amazing hey, that's great stuff how about that insult to injury uh i'm still obsessed with her dining habits though i have to say <laughs> it's my favorite bit of the whole thing <laughs> well i've got to say pete there you go yorkshire day yorkshire day was a great success i've thoroughly enjoyed my yorkshire day i'm sure you have too yep and i just want to say to everyone listening happy, happy yorkshire, yorkshire day. day you wazzocks <laughs> <laughs> Mary, Queen of Scots, you have been brought before this court accused of high treason and found guilty by a jury of your peers. You are hereby sentenced to house arrest for no fewer than 15 courses, including soup, starter, second starter, main 
second main, second, second main dessert, cheese and crackers, and after dinner mints. I decree each course must be served consecutively, and the little amuse-bouche thing served at the start does not count. This is your sentence, if you can bear it. May God have mercy on your soul, which is the fish of the day. This would be when we dursolate the next episode, but we still haven't done communism in Antarctica in the Triassic period. So are you going to promise hand on heart that you will do your episode in the next main episode after next week's verdict? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> yep. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, with that confidence. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> Well, with that confident promise, I guess that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about on the show, learn more about Yorkshire, or just say hello, you can reach out to us through our website, hhepodcast.com, or by email at peteandryan at hhepodcast.com, and we are willing to pass your messages on to Jim Colson as well. That's right, and we would love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show, just like Jim has. Yeah, if you're on Mastodon, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post extra content, like facts we didn't use, photos from the show, and other bits and bobs. Yeah, and if you want more content about Yorkshire and see some of the videos and other things that Jim puts up, you can find him on Twitter and the other social media at Bewildered Dad. Is that right, Jim? That's correct, yes. Do it. Follow, like, subscribe. Follow, like, subscribe. You heard it here first. Uh, Of course, we'll be back again soon with... The Verdict. But until then, a huge thanks to our special guest, Jim Coulson. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed it too. And of course, thanks as ever to Ryan. Thank you, Peter. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... History happened everywhere. Hey Pete. Hey Ryan. Hey Jim. Jim. Happy Happy Yorkshire Yorkshire Day. Day. Oh, thanks guys. We got you some presents. Oh, well, you you shouldn't have. Nah, of course we did. No, I mean, it's it's not that kind of celebration. But thanks anyway. I mean, wait, what's this? It's a whippet warmer. And a ferret fastener. We were going to get you a flat cap flattener too. For when my flat cap isn't flat enough. That's right. Guys, guys, guys. Yorkshire Day isn't a joke, you know. It's not a time to just wheel out old insulting stereotypes. It's a celebration of the people and the hardship that we've endured. Hardships? Yeah, hardships. It's hard being a Yorkshireman. You wouldn't understand because you're from the South and soft Southerners never understand. Oh, we understand hardship, don't we, Ryan? Yeah. You don't even know the meaning of the word. For example, when I was a lad, I lived in a shack and I walked three miles to school through the snow, uphill. Yeah, well, that's nothing. In the South, I was driven to school in a large, comfortable car, dropped off at the school gates with a kiss and a packed lunch. And you know what? Sometimes that packed lunch didn't even include a chocolate bar. 
You got lunch? Me and the other kids had to beg the dinner ladies for scraps from the teacher's table. You think that's bad? We had to live in a four-bedroom detached house, centrally heated, with a living room and a playroom, toys scattered all over the floor, and a fridge full of food from Tesco. But you know what? We were happy. Of course you were happy. That sounds amazing. Are you listening? From Tesco, Jim. Tesco. Even though there was a Waitrose right round the corner. What's Waitrose? It's the nicest supermarket, Jim. The nicest supermarket. Can you guys even hear yourself? And you know what? You tell the youth of today about how bad we had it, and they won't believe you. I can't believe you two. Exactly. Hey, Pete. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Hey, Jim. Jim. Great episode. Really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. I had a great time and really looking forward to the next one. History happened in Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Us too. But first, we wondered if you'd like to go for a drink to celebrate. Oh, that'd be lovely. Yeah. Right. So out we go. After you, Jim. Right. He's gone. Guys. Guys. So, Ryan, are you are you finally ready for the next episode? Guys, I can hear you. The communism in the Antarctic during the Triassic episode. Yeah. I, I think you've accidentally shut me out, guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got loads for that one. Guys, I, I heard that. Oh, great. I'll see you next week. What about communism in Yorkshire during the Triassic? Hey, guys? Guys, I mean, it's cold out here. I haven't got my flat cap. We're very perilously close to Ilkley Moor. I don't want to be eaten by worms. Guys! Guys, help! Are you there? Guys? I really need the toilet!